2: and or fm translator good morning it is the michael duke show hi how are you howdy packed show today big big jam-packed show we got a lot going on and uh, we're about ready to kick kick this things off we're about to light this candle uh joining us this morning in hour one sarah vance representative from homer are going to be joining us here in just a hot minute and we're going to be talking about uh, her priorities down in the legislature, what she's focused on, her committees, and get kind of the straight dope from her uh, after a couple, three weeks, four weeks here of session to see where, uh, where she's at. Also, of course, talk about the big hot-button issues of the day, which seem to be pervading almost all the conversation, which includes discussions of the BSA increase and, of course, uh, the defined benefits plan, those will all be part of our discussion this morning in Hour 1. In Hour 2, we're going to be talking with Representative David Eastman, who uh, has asserted that uh, he lost uh, some staffers earlier this week and that it was kind of uh, in direct contravention of what he had been uh, promised by the majority. So we'll see what the scoop is there and get, uh, get a take on that. And then next week we'll probably have uh, uh, Kathy Tilton and some others from leadership on to talk a little bit about uh, what their position is on it. So we will just, you know, we're going to kind of get a little bit of he said, she said over the next few days. But uh, today is, of course, locked and loaded and ready to go. And uh, we're going to get jumping in right here because we don't have a lot of time. Uh, she's got a meeting early on this morning. So we're going to dive into it here right now with Representative Sarah Vance uh, from Homer and uh, we'll get started uh, right now. Good morning, Representative. How is you this morning?
1: Good morning. It, it is. It is. It is extremely early, Michael. I know we talk about this every time. But
2: every time you are just
1: it does not get any easier. You
2: must be a night owl. That's all I could say. Because I, am. You, 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 you I mean, you know, I've been doing this for I don't know twenty years, uh, getting up and and doing the thing and being early and. I don't know. I'm kind of used to it now. So I just I don't know. It's it is what it is. Um, but thank you for getting up so early and coming in and joining us and being part of it today. We really appreciate it. I know it's not easy, but we appreciate you doing it anyway. Uh, so, Sarah, let's, uh, you know, let's kick things off here. Uh, it's been a little bit a hot minute since we talked. And uh, I think you had just basically started to unpack the last time we were down there. And here we are three weeks later or whatever. And now you can give us kind of a, a rundown of, uh, well, of, of what's happening in the big city. I mean, what uh, what are we focused on? Uh, maybe we should just take the elephants in the room to begin with and start there. Uh, we have saw some crazy stuff happen in the last few days on two of the biggest items that it seems like everybody, quote unquote, wants to uh, have happen, which, of course, is the base student allocation increase. And the defined benefits plan, we saw the defined benefits plan get rammed through community and regional affairs in like 23 seconds without a fiscal note. Or maybe there was a fiscal note, but it just didn't get shown. Or, I mean, I don't know. It's, you know, it's all dirty politics. Who knows? But why don't we start off there? Let's talk about these issues that everybody else seems to want to talk about. And those of us who are pumping the brakes are getting castigated for hating children. So let's uh, let's talk about that. What are your what's your what's your hot take on all this?
1: Well, uh, the first thing is is that I'm relieved that those are not my committees.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I am not dealing in those. People say, "Hey, you know, you're brave for taking on the fish wars, but hey, that's my jam. It's my district. Uh, give me fish wars over the fight over the BSA any day." And defined benefits, for that matter, and um, you know, chair judiciary. Uh, the governor just dropped three crime bills yesterday that uh, I will be considering and taking up in my committee. So I'll be very busy. Besides talking about the BSA and defined benefits, those are two really important items that obviously. Uh, there's a big push for, but I think the public can't assume that everyone wants them as presented.
2: Well, I mean, but no, that's that's not what the paper said. The paper said everyone wants them. That, in fact, if you don't want them, you must hate children and eat puppies and kittens for lunch because that's what they say. Because, you know, because you mean, mean legislators have not given a single dollar to education in 20 years. What's the matter with you? Uh, I'm that's hyperbolic, by the way, because that's not exact. Okay. But I mean, that's the insinuation. I mean, right. Am I wrong? I mean, when you read these newspaper articles, you like the legislature has just they haven't increased education funding in 20 years. And what I mean, we, which we know is fault. They haven't increased the BSA much. They've increased it by 4.5%, something like that, just under 5%. They really wanted like 18 or 20% increase, which, great, we can argue about that. But to say that we just haven't increased education funding, I mean, we had the other Sarah, Sarah Montalbano from the Alaska Policy Forum on last couple of weeks ago on a Monday, and she laid out the timeline and said, look, in the last, uh, it was like last 18 years, uh, 15 years, 18, the, the school costs have increased. 35% increase in school spending. They, they act like the BSA is the only thing the schools are getting. Uh, but this is part of the problem, is that it is a perception problem that's that the public has because they're not fully informed, because they're busy. I'm not I'm not criticizing them, but they're basically getting their news from the headlines, and they read it, and they go, Oh, yeah, well, I'm for the children, so of course we should increase that if that's what we need. Nobody's getting the full story.
1: Correct, and the whole reason that a formula, the base student allocation is a formula, you know, those picky formulas keep getting in our way. Um, you know, it was, it was created to take some of the politics out of the funding for the schools, and yet here we are, every year, it's the same conversation as if it's, they've never been talking about it, like as if it's a fresh ask, and, and it's simply not true. Uh, we did increase the BSA by thirty dollars uh, last year in the Alaska Reads Act, which isn't much, but nonetheless, it's more than what they had before. Uh, my the whole consternation that I have with just automatically increasing the BSA is, what problems are we solving by doing that? I know that the schools have needs just like everyone else, but I I want to zero in on what some of the problems are and find solutions. So I've introduced House Bill 21, which is a school university health care consolidation that allows school districts, municipalities and the University of Alaska to consolidate under the Alaska care health plan if they want to. And what I'm hearing is that the numbers from the MatSU could save up to three thousand dollars per employee per. And that's like seven million dollars just in the MatSU. That's that's not chump
2: change no so multiply that is taking
1: off the pressure
2: yeah multiply that by 53 school districts and see what you come up with when it's all said and done plus the university uh i mean you know and that's the problem is that uh you know you say well we only gave him a 30 dollars increase well we had the discussion yesterday with mike shower talking about hey one dollar in does not equal one dollar out one dollar in could equal ten dollars out potentially and so, yeah, there has been increases, and there are increases, and, uh, and I think that is the, that's the whole problem here. And, and the bottom line is, is that this formula it has two problems. One, there's no accountability in an increase in the formula as proposed right now. There's no way to say, okay, well, we'll give you the money, but you have to guarantee that you will increase scholastic achievement by X, Y, and Z, or at least give us a metric or something to do. The second problem is is that an increase in the BSA is not a guaranteed increase of increased dollars into the actual classroom, because the BSA is heavily canted to taking care of administration and overhead and paying those parts of the bills and increasing that side of the ledger instead of the actual classroom side.
1: Well, that's why I'm introducing that bill, and it's gaining traction because consolid- the option of consolidating healthcare will take some of the pressure off of the school funding so that they can focus it in other areas besides healthcare. That's something that they found that, you know, teachers for recruitment and retention are struggling with is, uh, should we stay in, in the job that we have because of the high cost of healthcare? Because they have to provide for their families. So I'm trying to provide a solution besides just throwing more money at the problem. I'm I'm one of those people that says, "Okay, maybe I'd be open to an increase in the BSA if there were parent choice in education. If the funding follows the child, then we can talk.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, that's it's an obvious opening there, which, of course, oh, they hate that idea. Totally. They totally hate that idea. But I mean, something's got to change. You cannot be expending almost more than any other place in the nation. We're like we're in like the third position as far as highest spend per student. And yet, still received uh, you know results that are in the bottom two. You just can't, you just can't keep doing that. You it, it's that's the definition of insanity. Um, let's break over to the idea here of the defined benefits plan. I mean, talk about going from the firing uh, from the frying pan into the fire, uh, or pouring gasoline right on a on a on a house fire. Uh, this idea that somehow we can all do this revenue neutral, and we've heard that several times from. One of the one of the legislators who's proposing, oh, we'd save money if we did this. We'd it'd be. Uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, sir. History says no. I mean, you know, <laughs> past performance is indicative of future results. And we we still owe seven billion dollars from the previous defined benefits programs that we had down from thirteen billion. It's been 2006. What's that? 18 years, uh, 16 years now since we stopped the defined benefits and we still owe two thirds of that unfunded liability. Uh, and now it's been forced through one of the committees. It's still got three more committees to go through. So it's got a tough time, but I can't believe we're actually talking about this right now in the midst of a fiscal crisis.
1: Well, and and that's the issue is, you know, we want to help people, but at what cost? you know, um, uh, it, there's constitutional concerns that when we change the retirement structure that you can't backpedal on that. That's, that's a, that is a, a huge fiscal responsibility moving forward that we're stuck with, as you pointed out, for a very long time. And, you know, the, I always put the measure to, you know, public and private. Are they on a level playing field? And no one is doing defined benefits because no one can afford it anymore. And that's what we need to look at is just the simple uh, dollars and cents of how we're going to pay for it. And I don't think there is as many legislators comfortable with this as what the media is trying to convey.
2: Well, that's good because the media is like, oh, it's kumbaya and everybody's for this. And this is how we'll solve our worker crisis. and yada. I mean, look. We the thing is that what we keep ignoring is a couple of things. First, we keep ignoring that uh, there is a worker shortage nationwide in almost every industry. I mean, every industry is uh, is a problem. The second thing that uh, we keep ignoring is, as you pointed out, is this constitutional component of it. We are one of only two states in the union. That have a provision in their constitution, which essentially says that any contract entered into with a uh, with an employee group or something like that is actually has the binding provision of like a constitutional. Oh, look at that. A constitutional mandate. I mean, and so what you're essentially doing is any legislature that does this is binding over future legislators whether times will be good or times will be bad they're binding over future legislators to say you have to pay this and it's and it's constitutionally protected and mandated this is a huge step potentially off of a cliff that we cannot come back from
1: correct and that's that's what really gets my attention is this isn't just something that's going to last a few years it's not a one-time allocation you know that's going to be one or two years in the budget this is this is a constitutional, um, you know, obligation that we're agreeing to. If we agree to this, and and it has um, implications for potentially generations, you know, good and bad. I'm not saying that defined benefits are are evil, but they are certainly a huge responsibility, and and that's what I'm looking at because uh, we, like you said, until we solve the the fiscal issue of having a long term fiscal plan we should not be considering any of this, yeah. any of these these larger obliga- financial obligations until we have a plan. And uh, I think that needs to be one of our top priorities.
2: Um, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, again, ensuring uh, and shackling us to a long-term, highly volatile and costly plan in the midst of a fiscal crisis seems to be the height of what i'd like to call arrogance i mean really that's kind of what i'm saying right now all right sarah vance is our guest we're going to continue with her here in just a moment we're going to be back with more in uh in in just a few with sarah vance representative down on the southern peninsula there in homer we will i mean she's in juneau but she represents that area you know what i meant yeah i haven't had coffee yet this morning which in and of itself Is a calamity. All right, we're going to be back. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
0: If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Duke's On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com.
2: All right. <clears throat> no, it's definitely not Michael Duke show beard curler coffee in that container because there is none right now. I'm still trying to get the next batch. You know, this this whole pandemic thing has really screwed up my own personal coffee regimen because, I mean, even I don't have any beard curler coffee in my cupboard right now. I think I'm I'm drinking North Pole Coffee Roaster Snickerdoodle, I think, is what I'm drinking right now, Ooh. which is delicious. It is deli- not as good as mine but it is delicious. My personal opinion. But, uh, so anyway, you got it done. I see you're doing the whole, the French press French and everything. Press.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm I, hooked.
2: I know. I am. Oh, I, I use, I I use a French press sometimes, but usually what I used to use a French press for was that I would make, um, I had a, I had, we had a friend, uh, that we met, uh, I don't know what Terry and I met 25 years ago or something, a couple from Bolivia. And they taught us how to make, um, the coffee Bolivian style. They'll take a pound of coffee and a gallon of water and they'll put it in a big jug and they'll put it in the fridge for two or three days and then they'll French press it out and it's a concentrate and you just put it in the bottom Mm -hmm. of the glass and pour some hot water on it. Some of the best coffee drinking you'll ever do. Oh, so good. That
1: takes out the bitterness. It does.
2: Oh, the acidity. And that was always Mm -hmm. my problem is that I would get heartburn and it was like no acidity, no bitterness, no. Oh, so, so delicious. Anyway, cold brew. It was cold brewing basically. I'm sorry. Obviously, I'm jonesing for some coffee this morning. Um, all right, feel free to uh, feel free to to pour your own and and get ready to go. Uh, Sarah, we're going to talk up next about your um, uh, about your you know your priorities and what you're doing. I am so jealous right now. She's making coffee I, I, on on the stream. All right, ladies like, and gentlemen, like this great, this gracious. Is-
1: gracefully you know get the plunder down you
2: don't want to splurt it that's the thing you don't uh, want. To
1: it's yeah it's a mess if i do <laughs> it's
2: a splurt um but you know you've got some priorities and of course uh with your uh with your committees and everything else there's things that you're going to be watching you touched on it a little bit with judiciary uh and there's been a lot of discussion about the judiciary lately uh i don't know if you heard last week we had david Hague on to talk about the grand jury situation here in the state and some of the other issues and I know that there are some legislative fixes to that. Now, the question is, of course, whether um, whether whether or not there's actually the political will to fix a judiciary who looks like they may be running amok. Um, but uh, we'll we, we can hit on all that uh, uh, when we get back uh, on the air. What's your what's your take overall on how things are going down there? I mean, is it. Is it? I, I think it's obviously. I mean, this is an obvious question, but it's better to be in the majority than the minority. Yeah. I mean, just give me your take here.
1: It is. The difference is, is that there is a greater level of responsibility to govern. That's. I am. I am busy in a way that things have to get done because people are relying on me. Where I was busy before because I chose to really put my heart and soul into every every bill, every committee into helping my district. And this time is, you know, I set the the calendar on the bills through my committee. I set the pace. Uh, we have to make sure that everything is ready to go so that the public can engage. And, you know, there's a, a soberness about that. And I've been, I've been looking forward to this for four years and uh, I think it's gonna be great. There's a different mood in the building uh, which, uh, according to Senator Schauer, is tangible among the majority, and it's good. You know, it's it's about time. One of the um, things that I just did recently, if you watch my Judiciary Committee yesterday, is that I announced that the public is welcome to join us in the committee room. I had uh, the maintenance crew come on and say, uh, it, come in and uh, shorten the committee table so that we could increase the chairs for the public. And uh, we it what a difference. What a difference it makes and just having space for the public to come and join us. Now, I know that there's the issue that we're not connected to the road system, but nonetheless, <laughs>
2: you knew where uh, that you knew where that was going. Wouldn't it be nice if we were actually on the road system so that the whole public could participate? Right? But, but good, uh,
1: Alaska Airlines does offer a thirty percent discount
2: yeah well good you know. good on you all right hold the line we're about to we're about to jump back into this and uh make it so the michael duke show common sense radio here we go
0: the michael duke show not your daddy wait sorry not your daddy Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio huh. Whew. i was scared for a second thought we were going down here's michael dukes and the show
2: Lights on. That's right. Not your daddy's talk radio show. Definitely not your daddy. There's only five of those out there. They're limited edition. That's what they are. The Michael Duke Show continuing now. Representative Sarah Vance is our guest. We were just talking with her about the... uh, just talking about her, about the kind of the change in Juno now that she's in the majority, and of course that leads to the questions of the things that she's doing, and uh and her and what her focus is on with her committees and everything else, and so let's jump back into that, Sarah. You were just saying you made some changes in judiciary, opening it to the public. What? <gasps> I mean, the public should actually be able to participate in these meetings. Uh, some pretty amazing stuff. Um, it's uh, it's it's good stuff. So tell us a little bit about um, your priorities for this session uh, on the judiciary and, uh, and with every other committee that you're dealing with right now.
1: Well, I chair two committees. I chair House Judiciary and the Special Committee on Fisheries that keep us plenty busy, and then I'm... Um, now a vice chair of transportation, and then I sit on uh, legislative budget and audit and tribal affairs as well. I think that's all. I forget. (laughs) It's hard to keep
2: track of. you got so many now, right? I mean, this is- I do. I do. It's madness.
1: And right now, the priority is the budget. We've started the budget subcommittees this week, and every standing committee has a couple of Budget subcommittees, like in Judiciary, we oversee the Department of Law and the judicial branch, the courts. So we have to take a deep dive into their budgets, and so we've started that this week. I'm also the transportation budget, and um, those will be covered over the next three to four weeks by all the members that we take a look into that and make recommendations to the Finance Committee. So that's the first priority I have. Uh, given my fisheries committee time to look at the fish and game budget just because our schedule is so crowded but during that time here in uh I I believe on the 21st we're gonna bring in the bycatch task force and have them talk about the work that they did and ask the question where do we go from here I know that uh, the public is anxious to be able to have that conversation that's uh one of the the topics that I'm going to be highlighting. And also I wanna bring a balance to the fisheries committee. We have a lot of in river use um, issues up in the Yukon and the interior and give them a voice again so that uh, we can have a, a robust committee. On judiciary, uh, my priority is going to be taking a look at human trafficking and crimes against children. That's a conversation that we have not had in the house judiciary in quite some time, and uh, also a lot of the other issues that are important to the public. But I can't reveal all of my plans just yet.
2: <laughs> she was clacking her fingernails together that cannot reveal all of my plans together. Uh, well, yeah, because we know that there's been uh, there's a lot of uh, public uh, <clears throat> angst over certain components of it we talked about it here uh, just a minute ago talked about the grand jury and some judicial retention and some other things so it's going to be really interesting to see what uh, what comes out of this and and we will look forward to what you uh might be focusing on and and pushing on that give me a 10,000 foot view of the room uh you know of the legislature itself as you look at what's going on here i mean the House Republicans uh, forming this coalition with the bush uh, with the Bush caucus, I think is probably the best outcome that we could have hoped for based on the pre-existing condition of what was going on in the Senate. You guys are now kind of the stopgap or the stumbling block for this light speed kind of stuff that we're seeing coming out of the Senate right now. what uh you know what do you what do you you know can you give me some projections or projections of what you think happens here over the next 13 weeks as we move forward towards the end of the session. What do you, what do you think?
1: You know, I think we're going to see some interesting alignments, interesting uh, people working together and um, trying to, to take a a dive into some of the bigger issues. Right now, obviously the attention is focused on the BSA and the defined benefits, but that's only if we allow it to consume our time. Uh, There's a lot of other really important issues that need to be addressed. And um I think that because we've had we we weren't just handed a full Republican majority. We have to work harder at threading the needle with our um, Bush caucus and making sure that um, we take into considerations what's going to happen in the Senate right. because we can't just throw over a, a lot of things and, and and act offended when they don't want to take it up and consider it, right. So, you know, if we're going to be wise about this, we're going to work on things in a way that uh, that really matters, that can get some traction, that isn't just poking the scent in the eye.
2: Right. Well, and one of the things that I'm, I'm excited to see is, of course, uh, you got Representative Ben Carpenter, who is going to be on uh, Ways and Means, and of course, they've been tasked with, creating a fiscal plan. I mean, that's the thing that we've been complaining about on this program. Well, I've been complaining about it for 20 years, but really over the last few years, especially with that first taking of the PFD and this ongoing, really this ongoing fiscal crisis that seems to always, you know, one year we've got too much money that we don't even know how to spend it. According to one of the former senators, we got so much money. We don't know what to do with it. But for the most part, it's been, There's always some kind of deficit. There's always something else that wants to be paid for. There's always this. And it always goes back to the PFD. And all of that stems back from the fact that we don't have a long term fiscal plan in this state. And so the Ways and Means Committee has been tasked with it. Ben Carpenter, who is on the fiscal policy working group, um, is uh, is, you know, steering that bus, so to speak. And and I think it's to me if there's anything that comes out of this session that we should really be focusing on and i'm all for a full pfd and all that don't get me wrong but unless we take care of and fix the long-term fiscal plan in the state we're we're always going to have this fight. We will be having this fight 15 years from now. If there's even a pfd left at that point, we will be having that fight, you know, 10 or 15 years from now.
1: I agree. And uh if there's any any one um Placement in in the majority, I say placement. I don't know. My vocabulary is low this morning. Uh, position of of leadership. It has been Carpenter in ways and means in the legislative budget and audit. I mean, he has really proven himself to be, uh, you know, stellar in finance. He he doesn't get emotional about uh, the numbers, and he's able to look at that accountability and really what's best for us long term. He kind of takes that dad approach that says, "Hey." we have to make some hard decisions here because I love you and I care about you. We're going to have to just kind of suck it up for a little bit, but trust me in the end, it's going to work out for the best. And he's that guy, you know, this is exactly where he needs to be because he's been trying to have that conversation about a long-term fiscal plan for the past four years. And, and now he's finally in the position to really guide that. And he's scheduled ways and means committee in the evening so that you as the public can participate
2: right which again thank you I mean really we'd we'd love to be able to do that thank you very much Um, which leads me back to the uh, to the question again of the report and recommendations of the uh, of the uh, uh, the uh, the committee the original committee uh, fiscal policy working group uh, which again a very diverse group of people I mean we always hit on this but I think it, it bears repeating that you had a group that had extremes from the left and from the right and from the middle, and they all came together and unanimously said, we've got to deal with this, we've got to deal with it, not one piece at a time, but holistically, here's a plan, here's a suggestion, and then last session it got mentioned like once, on. I mean mentioned, it wasn't gone through, they didn't go pour over it, they didn't debate that, it was mentioned in passing like one or two times. Uh, Now I know we talked with Kathy Tilton, We've talked with Ben. Now we've talked with you. This, uh, you know, it was kind of intimated that this is going to kind of be a roadmap and a blueprint for a fiscal policy. Are you guys all on the same sheet of music on that? Is that, is that the direction we're headed?
1: Well, we're just getting those conversations going. I tell you, everyone's been so busy getting established in the committees and making sure that those are running and getting the budget going because, you know, for the past two, uh, four years the you know the two uh, beginnings of the session we were delayed by 31 days and <laughs> and that set the budget and everything back right right so we are committed to being uh you know ready to govern and getting our work done and having the hard conversations uh you know trying to to map that out so that there's no more delay we've taken that seriously in the public so we've we've focused on all of that aspect and haven't quite gotten into the weeds on all of the details but you know that is one of the priorities and a spending cap that's why my very first committee in judiciary we heard uh the spending cap because that is a caucus priority saying we got to get control of this
2: yeah we spoke with will Stapp earlier this week and i'm excited to see something like this go forward um with both a statutory and a constitutional component because we all know what happens if it's just a statutory thing right i mean No offense to Sarah Vance and company, but the legislature really doesn't give a damn about your statute. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, really? That was just a speed bump for us. We'll just run right over that. Uh, Sarah, down to the last uh, three or four minutes here uh, before we got to go to break. And I know you've got to go during the break, so uh, we'll be taking you in. So I want to give you the last three or four minutes here just, you know, for any final thoughts or things people should be watching for you know, words of encouragement for the, for the, because people are frustrated. You know, we saw that in the last election. We saw afterwards what happened. There was a lot of frustration. There was a lot of uh, distrust in what was going on. Uh, A lot of people just kind of threw their hands up in the air and was like, you know, with the lowest voter turnout in state history on a per capita basis. So uh, you know, final thoughts here as we let you go.
1: Well, I just want to say that we need you. We need your engagement. Tomorrow in House Judiciary, we are gonna be hearing uh, a resolution that asks Congress to, um, to pass the, the Firearms Reciprocity Act. And uh, I'm providing public testimony because we want your engagement. You know, in order for us to be successful in the session, we need to hear from you. We need to hear that your thoughts on the BSA. And that means when you call in, you send those emails and you testify, it really does get heard. And I can't emphasize that enough. I just wanna answer some questions uh, f- from the chat before I go. No, okay. this is not Folgers. Oh, not Folgers, <laughs> okay. It's not Folgers and no, we are not a binding caucus on the budget or anything else for that matter. Uh, you know that I'm gonna keep my word and I I gave my word a long time ago that I will not be a part of a binding caucus. However, I am committed to governing And that means that I'm going to do my very best to uh, be able to say yes to a budget. And that means I have to contribute and be part of that conversation, but I'm not bound and no other member should be as either. Uh, But I, I want to, I want to give it a go. Alaskans deserve, uh, you know, commitment to do this well. And that's what I'm committed to.
2: Uh, Representative Sarah Vance is our guest. Uh, One final question since I have a minute or two here. Um, biggest surprise since you've been down there this time. I mean, you've been, you, this is not your first rodeo. You've been down there four years, slugging it out in the minority, being treated like the redheaded stepchildren that you all are, I'm sure. Uh, but what is, uh, what's your biggest surprise coming in this year? And, uh, you know, maybe a pleasant surprise, I guess, pleasant, uh, or otherwise, but what's the biggest thing that you're just like, wow. Huh. Uh, give it to us.
1: You know, I'm, I'm going to tell on my And I don't know, I'm probably going to get a lot of heat for it, but I'm now in a caucus with Bryce Edgman and um, he is, he's a, you know, pretty agreeable guy. I, the Bush caucus has been really great to work with at this point. Like I said, we haven't gotten in the weeds on issues. There's clearly things that we don't agree with, but um, you know, so far so good. And um, I think that is something that we need to consider that we can work together on what we can find agreement about. And that, you know, he gave the opportunity for the Republicans to govern. And I have to tip my hat to that.
2: Well, I mean, not to be cynical, but he did get something out of it. So it's okay. But I mean, it's, it's, I guess, it, I guess that's the art of compromise, right? Everybody gets a little something out of it when it's all said and done, but yeah, a little surprising. If you told me two years ago that, uh, that Bryce Edgman was going to come across the aisle and work with a a Republican majority on that. Um, Yeah, it's definitely a surprising situation. Uh, All right, anything else? Sarah Vance, before I let you go.
1: Well, I just want to know, I I miss everyone in my district. I appreciate you and uh, love hearing from you. And hey, you know, respect to all the plow guys out right now and those making our coffee.
2: And those making, if they could just make the coffee faster, that's all I'm asking for. It make hot. it, make it, it, it hot. fast. I'm out of beard curler and it's like a national crisis around my house right now. It's a national <laughs> crisis. Uh, all right, Sarah Vance, uh, hold the line for just one second before we let you go. We'll give you a chance to uh, sound off to the chat room. Folks, we got more coming up. Uh, we'll do one more segment, just me and you. And then at the top of the hour, Representative David Eastman is going to be joining us. Uh, We'll be talking with him about his staffing issues, uh, which made a bit of a splash earlier this week. We will continue the Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Your mental suppository. The Michael Duke Show. Okay. Well, somebody didn't believe a word you said. You are part of a binding caucus. You may not want to call it that, but you are. Um, I mean, I was pretty much assured by everybody that I've spoken to both on and off the air that no, we're not a binding caucus. Um uh that we can decide however we want to decide. I don't know what else you could do to <clears throat> That's the problem. Sometimes when people get bent on something like this, it's like there's it's how do you prove a negative? You can't you know, you can't show them until you get to the vote. And maybe Sarah votes against the budget just to show you she's not part of the binding caucus. I don't know. What is it? What is it? But there's nothing There. there's nothing holding you there. I think this is such a big issue. I mean, if you told me six, seven years ago that the because I've been railing against the binding caucus for years, but. If you told me six years ago that that was going to be a key campaign issue, I would have laughed in your face because I'd be like, people don't even know what it is, let alone care about it. But it is a big deal now. Uh, I mean, it's pretty obvious that that had to be part and parcel of the. I mean, that's why Rob Meyer didn't join the Republican majority in the Senate, because that was a binding. And he said, I can't do that. I voted. I I I actually went and, and got elected on one of those as a as a premise. So I'll give you one final bite at that, Apple, before before we go here, because, well, again, I don't know if you're going to convince them, but there you go.
1: Well, I actually want to read the bills before I vote on them. That's one of the things that I do, is I read every bill that comes across my desk. And uh, you know, I want to be able to vote my conscience. And I don't want to prevent any other legislator from doing that. You know, Early on in negotiations for the majority, One member said, well, if I join you, then I don't want to bring up social bills. You know, you can't, you can't introduce anything like that. And I said, well, no, that doesn't work for me. I'm not going to tell you what legislation you can or cannot introduce. So why, why would I want that? Why would I let you impose that on me? Right. You know, if you want to introduce something that matters to you, that you have that right to do that and you should for your district. And um, that was something that they were unexpected, that I was going to reply that way, that I would give them the same courtesy to introduce whatever they wanted. But that's been the the mood here of, no, you can't do this. You can't do that because it's too controversial. And yet there's all kinds of other things that are controversial, you know, like um, BSA and defined benefits. I consider those con- controversial, right? right?
2: Red flag laws, gun laws, all this reciprocity. I mean, those are controversial, I'm sure. No social. I love that. Somebody said, we're not going to do anything social. The next thing you know, I hear about all these social things that are going on over in the Senate when they said, well, we're not going to do anything controversial socially. What? Okay. Yeah. So, Uh, all right, Sarah, uh, really, last final bite at the apple uh, here for anything else, you know, exhorting what, what, what? Can folks, do what? What can uh, what can folks do? How can they help you? How can they help the the majority? I keeps wanting to say minority. How do, how can we help the majority in the House and the minority in the Senate? What what can we do?
1: Well, one of the things that we haven't talked about is the repeal of ranked choice voting. We're uh, HB one is going to be the bill that uh, we're moving by Rep. Rauscher and I co-sponsored that because it's essentially the same as mine. We need to hear from you send in those letters, send in those emails, uh, because we have to make a lot of noise and, and get that as a, a priority moved along this session. And man, that is so important. If there's one thing that we do, repealing ranked choice voting to kind of get us back to one person, one vote. And we can't do that without you.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I think it's something that I think it's something that needs to go, uh, and if nothing else, it at least needs to be discussed uh, because, uh, again, lowest voter turnout in history, a huge disenfranchisement of the rural population, up to 19 percent of 18 uh, percent of votes uh, rejected uh, and so many other things. Uh, it, it, it needs to be discussed. I mean, we were sold a bill of goods um, and you can argue for ranked choice voting all along, but you cannot argue that it was sold as something completely different, that's you know that that's yeah. what the bottom line is It was sold as a dark money bill funded by dark money, now allowing dark money to continue so it 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 definitely did not do what people thought it would do uh and uh and I think most Alaskans, if you pulled them today, I think it would be repealed immediately, but that's a big lift that's a big lift, and it's a big process,
1: but it's in the works. So you gotta, you gotta participate, tell your friends and neighbors, because I'm serious. We can't do without you.
2: HB one is Rauscher's bill you've co-sponsored. Okay. And what is that coming up? Any, is that coming up anytime soon or what's the,
1: uh, you know what? I don't know when it has a hearing, but I encourage you to go on aklleg.gov, Alaskaleg.gov, and you can just type in the search bar HB one, and it'll take you right to that bill. And, uh, And you can follow along, see where it is, and, you know, submit testimony.
2: See, you got a fresh start on the day. You're already awake. You didn't have to wait. We didn't have to try and wake up, drive into your meeting. See, this is the benefit. My my
1: pre-coffee coffee. coffee. My
2: pre-coffee coffee. coffee. That's the way to do it. All right, Sarah Vance, thank you so much for being part of it today. We appreciate it. Uh, We will see you soon. Thanks for for coming on board. Uh, Thanks, Mike. All right. Thanks so much. All right folks, here we go the Michael Luke Show Common Sense Radio. Okay, um, good stuff. Uh, during the break, there for those of you who uh, weren't with us in the commercial break, Sarah said one of the things that we didn't get a chance to talk about is uh, ranked choice voting, and that there is a bill right now in the House HB one that uh, is being is being uh, uh, put forward by George Rauscher, and Sarah says she has signed on to it. And I got to say, you know, it's something that really it's been talked about a little bit, but it hasn't been really focused on because we've been all sucked up in the whole BSA, uh, uh, you know, discussion and the defined benefits discussion. But ranked choice voting is an important is an important topic that we need to continue to discuss. I mean, again, this last election, the lowest voter turnout in state, pretty much state history. We had a huge number of votes that were pitched out and people being disenfranchised, especially from the villages, um, where it was nearly, what, 18 percent, something like that, of uh, ballots were uh, discarded. Uh, And, of course, this whole thing was built on the premise and sold to us on the premise of something that it wasn't. I mean, it was a ranked choice voting bill, but they sold it as a way to eliminate dark money. Money. Of course, it was funded by seven million dollars in dark money money and we continue to have dark money. I mean, that's the problem here. Ranked choice voting needs to be addressed. Ranked choice voting needs to be addressed by the legislature. And if the legislature is unwilling to pick it up, then it should be repealed by the voters. And I know that there are some uh, people out there who are working on that right now, getting ranked choice voting repealed, but it is something that needs to be addressed because otherwise We are going to be held up as some kind of shining light of, look how great it was in Alaska when it wasn't that great, folks. Now, would some things have changed? Potentially. Maybe. But the idea is in the long term is that we need to have one person, one vote. And if there needs to be a revote or a runoff, then we have another runoff. We have another election. We don't do this, you know, where your vote gets counted multiple times, but my vote doesn't because there's not enough candidates I can support or whatever the choice may be. Ranked-choice voting needs to be addressed this year. So that's my thoughts on it, and, and there you go. Coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to be diving into it with David Eastman, who is going to be talking about um, the uh, the termination of one of his staffers earlier this week. He wrote a piece on his own blog here about this and uh, he is not uh, he he's not a happy man about it. He's not happy about it. So we're going to get the dope from him. There's been some contention that oh he had some promises made and then others have said no, there was no promises made that this would happen and that would happen. So we'll get we're, we're going to get both sides of the story. We want to figure out what's going on. Um, we we'll we'll see what happens with that. So he's going to be with us an hour or two coming up on tomorrow's program.
3: Ooh
2: baby, tomorrow's going to be a full day as well. We're going to be joined in our one by um, uh, senior editor at Reason Magazine, Jacob Sullivan. He's going to be here with us to talk about some of the latest federal um, uh, uh, judicial decisions, some from the federal courts. And there's been a handful of them. Uh, I don't know if you've been watching this for firearms news and firearms rights, but there was a uh, there was a decision that uh, people who had been accused of domestic violence or even, uh, you know, the, the Lautenberg Amendment. I don't know if you know what the Lautenberg Amendment is, but basically if if a if a couple gets into a verbal altercation. No, I'm not talking about people beating on each other or doing it. I'm just saying they can get in a verbal altercation. And if one of the spouses says, well, I felt threatened uh, and there's some kind of, uh, you know, misdemeanor, domestic violence, something filed. Well, you lose your gun rights through the Lautenberg Amendment. Uh, and and other things. Well, now a court has said that you can't lose your gun rights uh, for those kind of things. A court has also stated that you can't be denied your Second Amendment rights if you are a recreational or medical marijuana user. That's also there's and, and this all falls back to Brune. This all keeps coming back to the Brune decision. And uh, it is the gift that just keeps on giving right now, folks. So Jacob Sullivan going to come on and talk with us about some of these latest federal decisions. Uh, and that includes the decision uh, on the bump stock ban where the federal court says, ATF, you've overstepped your authority. You don't have the authority to do that, to do that by caveat. I think it's the same thing that's going to happen. You're going to have exactly the same decision on the arm brace ban, which is going on right now, the new rules that they're trying to uh, go out there and uh, profligate uh, about uh, uh, about uh, the arm braces and everything else. So Jacob Selim going to come in and talk about that. In hour 2 it will be Chris Chang top shot champion season 4. We will talk with him as well about some of those decisions about how it's affecting things down in California. We'll also talk with him about uh you know some of the shootings and things that have happened down there in the place that's supposed to be the safest in the nation, right? I mean that's that that's the logic that people are using when they say, well, if we if we just had the strictest gun laws, none of this would ever happen. And of course, we know for a fact that That's not what happens, because criminals, by their very definition, break the law. It's just, it is what it is. That's how it works. So we'll talk with Chris Chang about that as well. And then we will be joined by Willie Waffle from WaffleMovies.com for the weekend movie and entertainment review. So busy, busy time coming up uh, tomorrow on Firearms Friday and then Monday it's going to be uh, Sarah Montalbano, and we're going to have uh, Doctor Chad um, Savage on to talk about medical choice as well. Also, I've gotten—I uh, just got—I got a couple emails from people over the last two or three days saying thank you for having um, Mark Cameron on, the author, uh, that they really enjoyed that segment, and they hope that I did more of them. And I—I I hope I—I uh, hope I do more of them as well. I—I'm excited. To talk about that and to uh, and to have different and to have different, uh, you know, kind of guests on for different things. That's that's what we're working on right now. So we're going to be uh, we're going to be moving in that direction. As well. So, oh, man, it's almost Friday. I can taste it from here. I I can it's almost almost Friday, almost ready to go. Um, And it's going to be uh, it's going to be a great a great, great weekend. Well, I mean, it was nice to talk to Sarah and, uh, I'm glad to see that the, my, the, uh, former minority now majority, a Republican majority is taking seriously their move to try and help, uh, fulfill, uh, the mandate to govern and do it properly. Uh, I'm glad to see that the fiscal policy working groups plan is being, is being held up and utilized as a, uh, uh, as a yardstick for creating some kind of long-term fiscal plan, we need that. We need a long-term fiscal plan in this state. That's what we've been lacking for the last 25 or 30 years. Quite honestly, really, we've never had a long-term fiscal plan in this state. But the fiscal policy working group has a, you know, it has a uh, 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 the support, a bipartisan support of some of the most extremes on the left and right in the legislature. Why aren't we putting this out there? Why aren't we looking at that? Well, now they are, finally. And I'm glad to see it. Maybe we will eventually come up with a long-term fiscal plan in this state. That would be a good thing. All right, uh, we got more coming up. Our two dead ahead, David Eastman, our guest, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Kevin says, did you know, this is a big block of text here, yep uh, Did you know that the Montana House uh, Has 100 reps and they have a single staffer for each caucus I had a single staffer in June for both of the last two years The whole premise that every legislature is due two staffers is a huge bunch of crap and a waste of money New Hampshire House does not even have offices. Their offices are their desks on the floor. This is not about staff. This is about their. This is about control and power. There were no promises made. Tilton is an open book. I'm assuming is what because it's cut off. I can't see the end of it. I'm assuming he's saying Tilton is an open book on it. And we'll get her take on this. Uh, I know that there's been some contention about this, and I know things can be wrapped around. So it'll be it uh, long term. The idea of a long-term fiscal plan is a fantasy. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, just because it's a fantasy doesn't mean that we shouldn't be trying to attain it. I mean, I'm trying to attain sainthood. I know I'll never get there, but I'm trying to live my life to a certain standard, right? I'm still trying to do it. Um Defined benefits. Uh, nope, wrong one. Where was the other one? There we go. Defined benefit plans are a fiscal black hole. There'll be 11 people on the House Finance. Six of the people who voted for the defined benefits plan last year are on House Finance now due to the makeup of the new House Majority Bipartisan Caucus, with Mike Cronk being one of them. Um. So we should be in the minority is what you're saying, James. Is that what you're saying? We should be in the minority, or this is a done deal. I'm not sure it's a done deal, quite honestly. I mean, I, I don't I don't think that, uh, that the defined benefits plan is a done deal. I think there may be some, you know, public support for certain parts of it, but at some point somebody's going to go, you know, in the back rooms or in the dead of night as they're sitting there laying in their bed, they're thinking, this is going to bankrupt us. Because the money, I mean, there's a reason why there was no fiscal note attached to the uh to to that uh to that bill that went through c r n a there's a reason why because i think it very clearly shows that it's going to be um that i think it very clearly shows that uh uh that uh it's going to it, it it's too costly way too way way too costly um so we'll see. We'll see. Um, Michael, when would you like me to call in? I really need to tell you about the crap that's going on with the Durham buses and the Matsu. Uh, I'm not going to have any time today, Melody, I don't believe. Um, maybe the last segment we'll see how much time we have with uh, Representative Eastman, whether or not he is going to be able to stick with us for the whole hour or whether we have enough to talk about for the whole hour. I'm sure we do. We could, you know, we could talk about it. But we'll see, Melody, if we have an open line at the end of the segment uh, or open segment at the end of the show, rather, then we can do an open line thing and we can talk about that. Um, last night's Ways to be Meaningful Committee, the Ways and Means Committee, had a great presentation from the State Department of Labor. Worth watching the video if you have not seen it. What was the topic of the video, Kevin? Was it defined benefits or was it something else? Just interesting. Interesting to know. Um, um, ask Eastman why he introduced nine amendments, wasted leg, legals, time, and our money, our amendments, that he would not go anywhere. Where's the Irish affairs committee? Um, because the, what? The just tribal affairs, nothing that, I don't know. I can't even, I can't even this morning. I just can't even, um, I could call in next week if that is better. I see you have a packed schedule this week. I mean, my next opening is Wednesday of next week. Wednesday of next week in the morning would be my first opening, if uh if I don't hear back from somebody I've already invited. But I mean, yeah, potentially, potentially next Wednesday. How about that, Melody? Potentially next Wednesday at six twenty four a.m. We'll just book it right here on the air. How does that work? Um, you've been watching what's going on in Anchorage. My God, that is a train wreck. Uh, now they've got an attorney group uh they got a the the anchorage assembly is now uh asked the courts to subpoena the administration records the uh he was the mayor was asked last night if he's sarah th- tuesday night if he seriously considered resigning the adn has got an article and a and a piece up uh, that was uh kind of a, a an investigate the headline reads it was good to be friends with the anchorage's mayor then the investigations began with a follow-up With a follow-up story. From penis cookies to spying. I mean, that's something I'd never thought I would read on the air. From penis cookies to spying, a growing list of allegations at Anchorage City Hall. I mean, it's uh I mean it's wow. It just I am just so glad that I do not live in Anchorage right now because it is a hot, 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 hot mess down there, you know? Maybe an app for booking on Dukes. I, you know, I considered, I actually considered that like a calendarly type app for that. But, um, I don't know. I like the personal touch. Doesn't always work a hundred percent, but I, I, I like it, you know, um, <laughs> penis cookies are for bachelor. <laughs> what have we become? What have we become? All right, um, we're getting ready to uh, come on come on down and uh, and talk about this. Um, uh, and Laura wants to talk about the other thing. Okay, well, we're all good. Um, let's uh let's continue. I guess that uh, that that puts that to bed. let's uh, let's go over here. I'm gonna jump back into it. I see Representative Eastman's in the green room, and we're ready to go. We will be back with more of the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
0: The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world.
2: Across the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. It is the Michael Dukes Show. Good morning and how are ya? How are ya? It is Thursday. One more day till Firearms Friday. And we are continuing with our show today. Big full schedule. Just finished up with Representative Sarah Vance. Uh, In hour one, some good discussions there on things that are going on down in the legislature, uh, getting her take on it. We're just about to be joined by uh, Representative David Eastman, who uh, is in the green room right now, ready to go to talk about Some of the issues that he has concerns about, including the loss of a staffer from earlier this week. He's written about that over at his uh, website, davideastman.org. There's a a, uh, post up there with the story, and uh, we're going to talk about that this morning. Just a reminder, if you want to join us today in another way, rather than regular old terrestrial radio, which there's nothing wrong with that, radio is good, it's free, it's been there forever, and we will continue to be here. But if you'd like a little more interaction, you can join us over in the chat room. We're uh, live now. Just me and you and 70-something plus of our closest friends are over on uh, Facebook and YouTube right now. Just go to facebook.com slash show if you'd like to uh, jump on board with Facebook or youtube.com slash show if you'd like to get in on YouTube. So uh, feel free to come on in and join us. We'll have conversations and discussions there as well. Meanwhile, let's uh, get things started, shall we, for this morning, and we're going to talk with Representative David Eastman, and we will get his take on um, we'll get his take on everything that's going on down in the legislature and talk about uh, his article from earlier this week. We welcome him to the uh, program now. Good morning, Representative. How are you?
3: Good morning, Michael. Well, we are um, enjoying the snow rather than the rain now. It was a couple of weeks of rain. Now it's a couple of weeks of snow.
2: All right. well, that's you know we got to always mix it up. That's the thing. We got to keep it interesting. Keep it uh, keep it exciting down there. Uh, so that you guys have something else to do and talk about. Uh, Representative, uh, I want to talk first things first. I I do want to get into some other things about the session and some of the big hot-button issues. But first and foremost, I want to talk about this article that you wrote on your website earlier this week um, that says if you like your staff, you can keep your staff with a subtitle, Political Extortion in the Alaska Legislature. And uh, you have lost one of your staffers, uh pam good uh was uh, let go uh something that's not necessarily in the control of the legislators who who they work for staffers are always i i think at the whim and vagaries of uh of leadership and and they're kind of uh, always on eggshells trying to figure out if they're going to come back or not um uh so you but you assert that this is uh, the i don't know punitive or broken promises there's a lot of things going on in this article why don't you just why don't you just uh you know wind it down for us here and give us the full story from your perspective and uh let's uh, let's discuss that. So we can start off here.
3: Sure. Well, uh yeah, a lot lot going on and um, it has to do with things like uh caucuses and uh whether they're binding and whether or not uh, you punish people for um, you know casting a vote that they they said they wouldn't cast or or now um you know this year we've taken the turn I think for the very first time um instead of waiting for you to vote against the budget and then punishing you and, and making you lose your staff and committees whatnot uh, they decided to to ratchet up one more and and simply kick you off the committees and uh take away your staff you know fire your staff uh, just because you haven't uh promised to vote for the budget you know to begin with so here we are uh 2023 hooray the um uh, the details of, of you know Pam's firing are, are you know straightforward enough. Um, you know, legislative policy is that a legislator uh, selects our own staff. and and that's written, you know, in our legislative employee handbook. Um, that's the way it's worked for uh, forever, as far as I know. and uh, and they decided they were going to uh, not follow that policy in, in my case, and they were going to literally tell me, which of of my staff was being fired um and uh you know now when called on the carpet they're saying oh no we, we we never actually you know told you which of your staffs being fired of course we still have the email that they sent pam saying you're fired um you know certainly didn't consult me in that process as far as you know which of my staff uh uh you know was, was my prerogative to to keep so um so yes uh, monday was you know her her day to turn her keys and uh, buy a, a plane ticket to go home and that sort of thing. Um, always difficult to lose staff, especially in the middle of a session when you're trying to you know, field phone calls from constituents and uh, you know, all, all of the different things that you're working on uh, in the chaos of, of session in Juneau. Um, so that, that is a loss to my district um, and, and my constituents, of course, uh, we, uh, we wish that hadn't happened. Um, but at the same time, the, the price that's being asked um, is, is too much. And and right now that is you know voting for a uh, appropriations that are you know targeted to exceed fourteen billion dollars this year. Um, I was not willing to make that commitment. Um, certainly not without knowing what's in those fourteen billion dollars. And uh, and that is too much for you know some of my fellow uh, legislators who are hard over on the only way uh, to run a legislature is through a binding caucus, and they cannot conceive or even imagine any other way of doing business
2: so your assertion is is that you were asked for your vote on the budget before or as the caucus was forming because we've been told time and again including by just recently 20 minutes ago representative sarah vance that there is no binding caucus she did not have to she did not have to guarantee her vote on any bills budget or otherwise we've heard that from other legislators as well but you're asserting that you were asked for your vote on the budget. Is that, is that what you're saying?
3: Yeah. Every interaction that I've had with uh, members, of the majority um, on that topic for, for the last year uh, has always been to the same point. Um, you know, if you want to be part of the majority, you need to be willing to sign on to the budget. And, and then I, you know, inevitably ask, well, and what is what's in the budget? And they say, well, we'll figure it out. Trust the process. Um, you know it'll it'll be chosen by you know other good legislators in the caucus, and the majority will, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, you know the 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 form that the binding caucus takes each year is um, sometimes a little bit different. Uh, but the essentials are are still you know exactly the same uh, as far as the expectation that you will help them uh, pass the budget. and and you know, isn't it isn't it nice and reasonable when somebody comes to you and says, well, gee will you just help us pass the budget and it's like okay fine well let's figure out what's in the budget well you know we need to make sure to pass the budget and of course the the organization you know, does not come together based on an agreement on policy when you look at at who, who are the members of, of the the caucus right now you've got bryce edgeman on one side you got george rauscher on the other side you got a lot of other folks what policies do bryce eggsman and george rousher actually agree on that. the list is is very 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 small and so when you have people on polar opposites of, of philosophy and ideology and party coming together because you know the, the the mantra is we have to be in the majority it doesn't matter how we get there we have to be in the majority because if we're in the minority again we can't get anything done uh, unfortunately if that's you know how you, you start the negotiation the Democrats are gonna walk all over you. And they did. You know, they took control of the, the House Finance Committee. And so right now you have a, a supposedly Republican majority that again is is controlled in large part by Democrats because they bought into this idea that we need to be in the majority. We need to have a committee chairmanship behind our our name. And if we don't have that, then we don't matter. And if if you buy into that, then, then they've got you. There's there's no way that you can can get around. Um, how would I say uh, changing the fundamentals of, of how Juno operates? If that's your, you know, your position.
2: So I mean, in the past, I mean, this is really kind of a historical return uh, to what has happened in the past because in the past there's been Republican majorities that were made up of Republicans with the Bush caucus. I mean, the Bush caucus historically for about a dozen years, fifteen years, twenty years, was part of that Republican. Uh, caucus uh, for many years this is kind of a return to that but your assertion is is that we should be not working with anybody at all that doesn't have an r behind their name is that is that kind of where you stand that it's an absolutism kind of thing where it has to be nothing but republicans and if we can't get that then we're in the minority and that's that's okay
3: no, not at all. that that's the talking point coming from the majority. That's never been my position. I've certainly never uh, taken that position. Now, the difference between what's happened in the past and what's happened, you know this year is actually significant because in the past, you had a Republican majority. They formed a majority, they had enough votes to elect a speaker and organize the House. And then after that, you know, be, for reasons that made sense to them, usually trying to get, you know, closer to 27 votes and two-thirds majority and so forth, they would invite, you know, Bush Democrats, like Bryce Edgeman, uh, to be part of that caucus. Um, this year is entirely different because they didn't have the 21 votes. They didn't have enough votes to elect a speaker. Uh, frankly, they, they told, you know, me one thing and then, um, did the exact opposite when they invited Bryce Edgman and uh, CJ and Josiah and Neil into the caucus. Those four gave them the majority. Those four can take away that majority on the turn of a dime. As soon as Bryce Edgeman is no longer getting what Bryce Edgman demands, then they have no majority. They have no vote to, to keep their speaker. They're toast and they realize it. And more important, Bryce realizes it.
2: So, not to play Monday morning quarterback here, but so what should the, in your opinion, what should have been done instead? Should you, should the, should they just been relegated to the minority and, uh, and let the other coalition form again as it did before and then try and work from the cheap seat, so to speak, and, and try and get things done from there? Would that have been a better outcome in your mind?
3: No, not at all. Uh, no, I don't think that's what you, you, you work for. It's certainly not what you, you plan for. Um, if you have uh, a majority forming for power alone and, and not based on policy goals and not based on you know party philosophy and so forth um that you know that is become normal in june for for many many years it was normal when republicans were um you know in the speaker position it's normal when democrats were in the speaker position that's that's all that most yeah, I mean, at this point, that's all that any member of the House uh, knows, because that's that's what they've experienced and they've never seen anything different um, now to try and put together a majority based on policy, based on, uh, you know, trying to achieve particular you know, goals and so forth. That is the way that it, it takes place in, you know, 49 other states um, with very, very few exceptions. Uh, Alaska is unique. In um, going a different route, and I know Pennsylvania is a little bit of an exception this year too. So you know, there are some occasional exceptions, but you know what happened in Pennsylvania is completely new for Pennsylvania, whereas what happened in Alaska is not new. I mean, it happens every year in Alaska. What you're talking,
2: so, yeah, what you're talking about is the automatic majority minority thing. So if it doesn't matter. That that if uh, if 21 Republicans got elected and 19 Democrats, then it would automatically be a Republican majority, regardless of whether one of the Republicans was more moderate than anything else, because that's how the majority of the states form. That's how the Congress does it. That's how everything else does. it, Right. Is that what you're. It, it is. What...
3: And that's based fundamentally on a respect for the will of the people uh, as expressed at the ballot box in November. And and that, you know, should be the case in Alaska as well. Um, but Juno, being you know six hundred miles from most people in Alaska uh, or more, um, that respect is no longer there and um, hasn't been there for for quite some time, and that's why you know you, you got lots of examples of that. You know when the governor calls a special a special session in Wasilla, and the you know legislature tries to say no and tries to get the vote sustained Juno and. Uh, doesn't get the constitutionally required number of votes, but decides, you know, well, heck, we're just going to stay in Juneau anyways. I mean, that's, that's the mentality. It was in 2019 when that happened. It's still, you know, the same mentality today, not having respect for the will of the people. And and of course, that is expressed in not having, you know, respect for um, legislators that that the people elected don't, you know, uh, aren't part of your agenda, whatever that happens to be. So, you know, in other states, you know, you, you got Republicans, Democrats that may, you know, hate each other, you know, philosophically, um, and, and agree on nothing. But in most states, you do still have that baseline um, respect for the people, which means, hey, okay, you know, we're going to, we're going to work with each other. And, and it's, it's going to be what it's going to be. And we're not going to try and, you know, tell the people, gosh, you know, you really voted for the wrong person. So I'm going to spend the next two years, uh making sure you know, you voted for the wrong person, um, like they've done, you know, with my district. And and that you know there, there's obviously a lot of other things that flow from that lack of respect. I mean, really, it's, it's contempt, contempt for you know who people choose at an election, um, and and it's contempt for people like Laura Reinbold, and it's contempt for myself. Uh, I, obviously, I'm I'm not the only one, but right now, uh, you know, I, I'm the one here. I'm the one you know who's having my staff fired and so forth. And we we need to do better. Uh, 49 other states show us that it can be done but you know Juno is is in a pit and um you know some some people you know think that you know gosh once we fix the binding caucus you know everything will be you know peaches uh, and rainbows i don't believe that's the case but but i do look at what happened in the senate um you know my senator joined the binding caucus of course you hear some of the same talking points that you hear from people like Sarah Vance oh no it's not a binding caucus you know it's uh it's it's just you know not binding caucus per se, you know, thing. Whereas you talk to folks like Rob Meyer, he said, hey, it's a binding caucus. I didn't, I wouldn't join it because it was a binding caucus. Everybody knows it's a binding caucus, but my Senator, you know, is gonna say, no, they're they're all wrong when they say in press conferences that it's a binding caucus because, you know, we really don't have any rule that you have to vote any particular way. It's kind of an expectation. And and um, yeah, it's it's more of a guideline really. I mean, look, if it walks like a duck, the quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Um, And the idea that um, we're all going to uh, intend to vote for the budget. Well, what does that mean? Well, we're all going to intend to vote for the budget. Okay, um, and there's 23 of us, so not all of us need to vote for the budget for it to pass, but we all need to be committed to it passing. So, you know, at some point we're gonna count noses and you need to make sure we have at least 21 votes to pass the budget on the first time. And if uh, we got 21, then, you know, maybe you and one other person doesn't have to vote for the budget, oh, okay, does that make it less binding? No, there's still a commitment that they're gonna pass the budget on the first time, no matter what's in it. And that's, that's a bridge too far for my district.
2: Representative David Eastman, our guest, The Michael Duke Show. We'll continue with him here in just a moment. Your home for Common Sense Radio.
0: Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com.
2: All right, we were running up against the break there. Uh, Representative Eastman, uh, you know, we I guess my question is, is this we're going to have to work across the aisle at some point because we do have this broken system. And I, and I agree with you. I think that we should be doing what other states do, which is basically the majority is set when the election is certified. Period. That I think that that I think that that should be the way that things are done. And if you've got people in the majority like a, a Louise Stutz or somebody who doesn't necessarily agree, then they can work across the aisle with other people, you know, in certain areas, but they're still going to vote the way that they're going to vote. Um, and, uh, but so, I mean, I guess my, my thought here is, is that you're going to have to work with somebody at some point. We didn't have, you're right. We didn't have 21. We didn't have the full 21 to be able to vote the speakership. And in the past, it has been a stronger majority where the Bush caucus was added after they had their majority to begin with. But at this point, if sitting in the minority and not being able to control the narrative, control the flow of bills into the different committees and things like that uh, basically means that, you know, we're not even we're barely a blocking force. We're spinning the wheels more than anything else. Then maybe this is the solution of finding people that you can work with and find, you know, because there's a question of to me, it's not necessarily Republican or Democrat. It's not necessarily elephant or donkey or even left or right. To me, it's bigger government versus smaller government. Who supports on specific issues specifically? Uh, does that does that come into play for you, or does it have to be somebody who I you know aligns with you ideologically a hundred percent? Or could you find a, a caucus that you could work with that says? We're going to find a fiscal plan, and we're going to solve the PFD crisis. All these other issues that we may not agree on are to the curb. But we're going to come together as a coalition or a caucus on these one or two issues. Could you support that?
3: Yeah. So um, you know that that's one of the talking points that some of the majority have been using. That's um, not, not a talking
2: sure. point, representative. That's my question because that's how oh, I feel. Good. That's how good. I feel well, about and, it. Because I'm I'm just curious. You
3: Came up with it first, and they're just parroting it. You know, I don't know who came up with that first, but. Um, but the idea—I mean, look look at what happened in the House and look at what happened in the Senate. Um, what happened uh, this year is is not what you just described. Uh, what happened is you literally had uh, eight Republican senators and and uh, nineteen Republican House reps um, basically tell the voters through their actions, um, you know what you elected uh, some Republicans. Um, they are. Uh, not the kind of Republicans we want to work with, so we're not going to. Um, they are, you know, whatever's wrong with them. Uh, in the end, you find that the four most conservative legislators in the House and Senate, three in the Senate and one in the House, myself, um, if you look at, you know, their their rankings on their voting record uh, from non, you know, uh, non-Alaskan groups like the you know, Conservative Union and others that rank all the legislators, you know, somehow magically... Um, you know all the the most disagreeable legislators that you just can't work with. You don't like them. You can't trust them. You know they they're party poopers, what have you. All end up being the most conservative legislators. And so you say, all right, you know we're not going to work with that crew because we we don't like what they're about. Um, and we are going to literally replace them with Democrats. Uh, that's what they did in the Senate. Um, that's what they've done in the House. Uh, and in, in all cases, it wasn't. The Mike Showers and Rob Myers and Shelly Hughes and David Eastman's the world saying, oh, gee, those Democrats are just too hard to work with. You know, we're, we're not willing to work with them. Oh, those Republicans, they're just, you know, they're rhinos. We, we just couldn't possibly, you know, caucus with them. No, literally all four of us were, were kicked to the curb. Um, Rob Myers was was invited to, to be part of it. Um, you know, he said, hey, can't do it, finding caucus. And he was kicked to the curb as well. Uh, whereas Shelly and Mike and I, um, we excluded from the get go. Um, every time we tried to be part of that conversation, you know, we were told, uh, not only no, but, but hell no in different ways. And, and that is not what you were just, des- you know, describing a minute ago, you're a minute ago, you're describing, you know, being able to, you know, work together, different parties and so forth. Um, uh, everything that I've seen from Mike and Shelly has been that they are, are willing and, and, you know, glad to do that um you know despite whatever disagreements there are uh, i certainly have been as well and and what happened in in my case i was literally told on tuesday we got hold um, on, a, hold, know, on hold on hold on representative
2: we got to return. return here we go michael duke show nope this one right here here we go i mean it for real this time sorry three seconds
0: the michael duke show proudly splitting the left versus right uh, dichotomy yeah i had to look that word up too i don't think it means what he thinks it means there he is though that guy michael dukes the one with the show
2: the michael duke show common sense radio continuing now uh, representative david eastman is our guest uh, we I have been talking during the break about uh, the break, uh, the, the uh, different uh, breakdown of the legislature and uh, who can work across the aisle with who and what is the perfect, uh, I guess, I guess kind of what is the perfect majority or perfect coalition. Uh, right before we came back, Representative Eastman was breaking down for us uh, what uh, what went down earlier this week and, and promises that were made, things that were done. So, representative, I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you uh, set the stage again and and continue your uh, your thought on that.
3: Yeah, you know, you had mentioned before the break. Um, you know, w- wouldn't it be you know necessary at times to you know work across the aisle and you know bring Democrats into the caucus and so forth? And um, uh, yeah, and there there are circumstances where that might absolutely be necessary. Um, but what you saw in this case was was something totally different from that. Um, you literally saw Republicans um, say, "Hey, we refuse to work with those, you know, crazy conservatives." Um, you know, in the past, it's been Laura Reinbold You know, this year, it's uh, uh, Mike Shower, my former senator; Shelley Hughes, my former House rep; uh, myself; uh, Rob Myers. We've all been, you know, shown to the door. Um, and in, in Rob's case, you know, he, he was offered, you know, membership in the caucus and he said, no, you know, it's a binding caucus. I, I can't do that. Or, you know, my district isn't going gonna, isn't gonna to go there. Uh, and he was you know, kick to the curb as well. Uh, it wasn't a, an unwillingness on on Mike or Shelley or, or Rob and I to you know, work with uh, other legislators we disagree with. It was literally those legislators saying, um, you know, we in various ways, we hold those legislators in contempt. You know, we, we hold their constituents in contempt, such to the point where we refuse to work with them. Uh, and and there is no conversation. And um, we're going to literally punish you. And we are going to literally say publicly that, um, you know, you need to uh, you know, fix yourself. You need to change your your policy, you know, your, the way you uh, make your decisions as a legislator and so forth. Uh, and then we will revisit uh, this after, you know, you've, uh, you know, Experienced your punishment, and once you've reformed yourself, well, then maybe we'll we'll think about you know treating you like a fellow legislator. Um, that's that's what's coming out of the Senate. That's what I'm seeing in the House. Uh, it, it's very much you know two two peas in the same pod. There, uh, the difference in the House is that there's more Republicans than Democrats in the caucus. The difference in the Senate, is there's you know one more Democrat than than Republicans. But you know if if Rob had joined, it would have been you know fifty fifty. So it, it's not about uh, the numbers, it's about all right, how are they making their decisions? What's their agenda? How did they, that agenda come together? Uh, and that agenda in, in the House and the Senate comes together after you decide on the outset, uh, we're going to ignore the fact that, uh, you know, Republicans elected uh, David Eastman. And and we are just going to uh, pretend like uh, that district, you know, isn't Republican, doesn't exist. Um, and we're going to tell ourselves lots of things based on that assumption. And, and that's how you get to where you are. So what, what happened was, um, you know, once we're you know getting ready to be sworn in, I was uh, visited or you know was was called to the speaker's office and she asked you know if I was going to uh, vote for her, she asked me for my vote. Um, we had a conversation about that. And um, you know, at the, you know, we, we talked about, all right, you know, what's the agenda going to be? She said, well, you know, we haven't really figured out out yet. And um, oh okay, well, that's you know, an issue um and you know what when's the when can i be part of the, the the conversation about organizing the house and um well we're, we're going to deal with that after we vote for speaker um that's going to be a separate process this year uh you know it's not not the traditional process we're going to wait until until after do that okay fine um so you know next day we had to vote for speaker um of course i i i voted for kathy tilton the republican uh and and as did many others uh, and then, as I am literally walking out the doors from you know the floor session, uh, you know, a reporter tells me, "Hey, um, yeah, they uh, you aren't going to be in the majority." Um, you know, sorry. You know, what do you feel about that? Basically, uh, I was like, "Okay, well, that's exactly the opposite of what the Speaker of the House literally told me 24 hours ago." Um, how's that happen? Uh, and and then you know, uh, I think it took two weeks for uh, Kathy to apologize for how that went down, but. Uh, but that is literally how Republicans are treating fellow Republicans, uh, whether it was Louise Stutz, whether it was myself, whether it was Rob Myers, uh, Mike Schauer, Shelly Hughes. These, This is the way that Juno operates when you don't go along with um, Juno's agenda. And I'll, I'll, you can leave it very high level like that uh, this year. Juno wants to spend a lot of money, um, and they really don't need conservatives telling them that's a bad idea. And so they've you know, decided that. Uh, they don't really need to include uh, conservatives in that conversation and they've decided not to and and that's that's a decision um i think the public should have some input in that but again that the whole binding caucus um principle if you will is uh whether it's intentional or 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 not i think i think it's fairly intentional is to exclude the public from that conversation to say hey there's 23 of us you know we can figure out the budget better than you know, anybody else, uh, you know, the new talking point as well. If, if it's anybody else other than the 23 of us, then uh, it's going to be higher. Well, I don't know that that would be the case at all. I probably, if it was, you know, my vote in there, it'd probably be lower uh, because that's where my district wants to go. But, but the talking point is, well, it's got to be the 23 of us. The best budget possible is going to happen from the 23 of us. And that excludes the public from that conversation. Um, the way that uh, it's been laid out is a clear violation OF THE OPEN MEETINGS GUIDELINES AND STATUTE. YOU ARE NEVER SUPPOSED TO HAVE A MAJORITY OF A LEGISLATIVE BODY GET TOGETHER IN A ROOM AND HASH OUT ALL THE DIFFERENCES OF WHAT'S IN THE BUDGET WITHOUT THE PUBLIC, YOU KNOW, BEING PART OF THAT. Um, AND USUALLY THE the ONLY WAY THAT THAT HAPPENS LEGALLY is YOU DO IT ON THE HOUSE FLOOR WHEN THE TELEVISED, YOU KNOW, CAMERAS ARE RUNNING AND THE PEOPLE CAN SEE WHAT THEIR, YOU KNOW, REPRESENTATIVES ARE are DOING. WE DON'T OWN THE PROCESS. IT'S THE PEOPLE'S PROCESS um, AND WE SHOULD FOLLOW THE, the the rules in place to make sure that they have their input in that process. And the whole binding caucus idea is no. That's a bad idea.
2: Well, I mean, you'd be right, except for the fact that the open meetings law is, uh, the legislature exempted themselves from the open meetings law. That's how these caucuses have worked, and that's how these closed doors meetings have gone on for years in Juneau.
3: No, I I didn't say the Open Meetings Act. The Open Meetings Act uh, is separate from the legislature. I said the Open Meetings Guidelines, and those fall within the Ethics Act which does uh, apply, you know, to legislators, in fact, exclusively to legislators and, and legislative employees. And those guidelines specifically forbid a majority of a body, any legislative body from getting together to discuss, you know, what is actually going to be in the bill, what, okay. what the policy is going to be that the, the plan right now has been explained to me by multiple legislators is they're all going to come into a room after it comes out of House Finance Committee. And they're going to take the operating budget and they're going to figure out what's in it. And then after, you know, they hash it out, then they're going to have some, you know, unanimous agreement on on making sure that it passes. And and that's all well and good, except for that it literally is illegal. Well,
2: except I guess this is, you know, this is the first time I'm hearing about the guidelines uh, because this has been going on for years. This is not a big surprise. You said you were given, according to your article, you were given an ironclad commitment from the speaker That if you like your staff, you could keep your staff, Uh, which is later on, uh, somebody else has asserted. A couple other people have said that's not exactly how it went down. So give it to us from your perspective. When you say you received an ironclad commitment that you could keep your staff, uh, walk us through that.
3: Yeah, um, so that that conversation started um, when uh, they wanted me to sign the sense of the house on Tuesday, January 17th. And uh, this is after we were sworn in uh of course if there's no speaker if there's no house organization uh, there's no one to approve the hiring of, of legislative staff and so literally every legislator staff was you know going to be fired immediately uh, unless you have a unanimous agreement of all 40 legislators to uh you know basically stand in the place of of a speaker and, and rules chair and so forth and when there's unanimous agreement then you know the staff can continue to be employed uh, uh and and there were four Legislators that were you know, to be put on a committee to make uh, staffing decisions in the absence of, of a speaker and a rules chair and and they came to me and you know, there was two uh, members from the majority, I think two members of the minority that, you know, were on that committee. Uh, they came to me for my signature and I, I pointed out, you know, I'm, I'm not in either caucus. Uh, none of these four people represents me or, or my interests or my district, or my staff's interest. You know, I, I think it's only fair that I be added to the committee as well and it'd be five instead of four. Uh, and, and it was back and forth and they said, you know, I didn't really like that idea. Um, and so I I pressed and said, all right, well, if, if nobody's there to advocate for, you know, me and my staff, um, will that be something that you're prepared to do? Are you prepared to make the commitment uh, to go to bat for my staff and ensure that they're not targeted? Uh, and I was told by Kathy, oh, gosh, you know, when has anyone ever, you know, gone after your staff, David? Mean, like, this is such you know a ridiculous thought. Um, um, and I pressed it, and, and before I signed that document, I received a, a explicit commitment from the speaker that my staff would not be touched. And her words were, unless they commit felonies. And that was a conversation that uh, you know, I had with uh, Kathy and another legislator, um, and, and we all were there. There weren't any questions about what happened. I signed the document. Uh, and now, um, you know, I'm being told that that commitment is not going to be honored. So a couple, uh, but I'm glad.
2: Go ahead. No, I see. So and when you say the speaker, was it, was it as Louise was speaker or was it Kathy Tilton
3: as speaker? Who were you? Who are you? This is, no, this is before there's a speaker, because uh, you wouldn't need a, a sense of the house uh, agreement if there was already a speaker. This is on Tuesday. We didn't elect a speaker until Wednesday. So Tuesday I got the commitment and by, uh, by Thursday, had already received. Uh, you know, the memo had already been written, saying that um, you know, hey, uh, you know, sucks to be you, but but your staffer's getting fired, basically. And were you given?
2: A, I mean, uh, you received like a certain number of points, right? I mean, each each legislator gets a certain number of points to be able to hire staff and do all that kind of stuff. You were not given a choice to say, here's how many points you have, and you get to choose which legislate, which uh, staffer to keep. You're you're asserting Correct. that they just said nope. This is the one that's got to go.
3: Correct. Now, I got that in an email uh, from Craig Johnson. So the uh, you know the points uh, you know historically certainly for the last six years um, you know whether you're in the minority whether you're in the majority whether you're like Sarah Rasmussen or Gabrielle Ledoux, uh or myself at times uh, anyone who hasn't been you know in in one of the caucuses has still uh been entitled to the same office staff uh to to run the basic office operations on behalf of your district two staffers during a session you know one staffer out of session and and now we have a new policy um, and and that new policy is uh if you don't uh join our club um then we're gonna whack you and we're gonna cut your staff and now suddenly you're in the middle of session uh, you have one staff, which is less than all of the Democrats in the minority, um, and, and you're supposed to you know, somehow make that work. But, but again, that's not just about me. That's about uh, anyone who wants to leave the majority over the next two years. And, and now they're holding that sword over their head, saying, if you leave our club, you know, we're going to whack you and make your job as a legislator difficult, if not impossible.
2: Uh, we're going to continue with David Eastman here. Our guest, uh, the Michael Duke Show continues. One final segment dead ahead. You're on for Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more right after this.
0: we're broadcasting live through a series of tubes allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the, on the internet well it's kind of hard to explain sorry streaming live every weekday morning on facebook live and michaeldukeshow.com
2: we're in the break right now representative david eastman is our guest uh representative uh were you trying to be? Were you trying to hold out and be like that second? You mentioned Rasmussen and and uh, you know when they were kind of like the isolated island majorities of or m- minorities of themselves. Is that what you were trying to hold out for? Was to be a minority kind of of yourself? Um, you know, the, um, no, no.
3: In, in Sarah's case, uh, Sarah decided of you know for reasons that made sense to her that she wanted to leave the Republican caucus. Um, I've never left the Republican caucus. In fact. You know, of the 21 of us that have elected, you know, you've had 20 other Republicans that have left the Republican caucus in the Senate. You had uh, eight other Republicans that left the Republican caucus. So now you literally have three Republicans uh, in a Republican super minority in the Senate. You've got myself in a super minority in the House. You're saying Republicans Um, left
2: the caucus. You're talking about the current group that's down there in Juneau right now. You're saying they've left the caucus. They're the majority uh, of Republicans, but they've left the caucus and you're the only one standing in it. I, I don't understand.
3: Yeah. They, they don't call themselves the the house Republican caucus. They call themselves the, the house majority. Uh, and that's because it's not a Republican majority and it's not the Republican caucus. And as soon as they uh, decided they were going to you know, bring Democrats in the caucus, it, they, they created a new organization. Um, And it wasn't that, you know, Rob or Shelley or or Mike said, hey, you know, we don't want to be Republican anymore. We don't want to be in caucus anymore. They were literally not told anything and told that the other folks had gone and and formed their own caucus. Right. But I mean, again, we're talking I,
2: I understand the Senate's a hot mess and I'm not debating that. I'm talking specifically about the House. So you're standing on the outside and the 17 or 18 other Republicans, they all left the caucus. But you're still standing strong. Is that your assertion?
3: yeah there were 19 others that, that left initially and it was just louise and i um you know we literally were the republican caucus of two um you know we put put out uh who we wanted to, to you know take photographs for us and that sort of thing um anyways uh, it is it is now you know I, I am literally the the only one who has not left the republican caucus and that you know may seem like semantics and, it, and of course you know it partly is but from the standpoint of, all right, you know who's willing to work with with other Republicans and and who's willing to respect the will of the voters. Um, well, you've got 19 folks who have said they're really not. Um, Louise was, uh, you know, certainly I, I have uh, not gotten that you know vibe from her in any of our interactions. Uh, she's gone on to join the the minority. Um, they call themselves a, a tripartisan minority because they've got uh, you know independents and Republicans and Democrats. Um, uh, I didn't, you know, ask to to be the only, uh, you know, member of the Republican caucus, which you know, is kind of a silly thing when you you think about it. But at at the end of the day, it's 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 very much like Hawaii, and and honestly, it's much more honest with the public about where we're at in Juno. Um, you know, you, you had a, a problem in November in Hawaii because when I was first elected, there was only one. You know, Republican in the Hawaii Senate, and then uh, they elected two in November, and suddenly they had a power struggle over who was going to be the minority leader, and they couldn't figure it out. So, you know, made the papers, that sort of thing. Well, um, yeah, I suppose if it, it kept on being Louise and I, we'd have to figure that out, but, but now it's just down to me. So I, I'm minority leader by default. Hooray. But uh, I guess minority leader as a third
2: minority, because there's already a minority of Democrats, right? I mean, so yes uh so i mean again and you have to have i think the 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 rules say something like that it has to be four or five people to be a technical min- minority is that right uh so you-
3: yeah in, in order for you know the the uh majority to be forced to recognize you as a caucus you you need the 25 percent, and so Obviously you know, Mike and Shelly and Rob don't don't have that. Uh, they would need two more to, to meet that 25 requirement. but, but there is nothing prohibiting um, those 17 in the majority from recognizing the minority's voice and, and recognizing their minority status. They should. Um, it, there does need to be a minority in the Senate right now. there's there's no minority. All you have is the majority. And, and that maybe sounds great if you're in the majority, but as far as the process goes, uh, you now have, um, you know, denied the minority the ability to to have well, their voice heard again. Uh, you've denied them staff. You've denied them the technic- You've denied them representation yeah. on committees. So you've got all these committees and you got no minority voice, and that that's fundamentally not the way our system was designed.
2: Yeah, no. Again, and in the Senate, I definitely, I mean, I agree with that at this point because again, that's that's not the way it is. But in the House, we do have a minority that has, you know, eighteen members, whatever it is now uh 17, 18 members we do have a minority and then you so again, that's the you know that that's my question we're only i got less than sixty seconds so I'm not gonna ask this question until we get back on the air um but i do I do have some more questions about uh the ideology of being able to work with other people and things like that so hold the line for just a second representative we're gonna be right back to you folks uh if you uh Uh, Like the show. You'll want to hear what the show has to say. Um, Feel free to uh, feel free to like and share this uh, broadcast on Facebook or on YouTube. Make sure you like and follow on Facebook. And again, out on YouTube, make sure that you uh, subscribe and then hit the subscribe button again to ring the bell to get all notifications. That's what it takes to uh, get the job done. Here we go. The Michael Duke show. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Continuing now, Representative David Eastman is our guest. Uh, we're going to uh, take him up right to the top of the hour here. We were just talking during the break, and something you said, Representative, uh, again, struck a chord with me, uh, again, that you mentioned it, that these Republicans brought these Democrats into the fold, and that's why, you know, th- that's that's the wrongness of it, that you assert, essentially, that the Republicans, that the that the 18 Republicans in the House have left you uh, and that you are the only true Republican caucus left. But then part of it was because, again, bringing those Democrats in. And I guess my question is this. This goes back to my ideology of saying, I want certain things in the state to be fixed. For example, long-term fiscal plan, the PFD, things like this. Sometimes we have to work across the aisle with people that we may disagree with on other on other uh, points or other philosophies or other issues. And But you've come back to that several times to say... You know, Republicans, they chose these Democrats to to do that. That's how we have to work sometimes, right? I mean, sometimes we otherwise we're basically in this gridlock where nothing happens and nothing gets fixed. Or maybe it moves in the other direction because we don't have enough power as a minority to stop it. Um, I mean, shouldn't we be open to doing that, working with other people, bringing people into the caucus?
3: Yeah, so you know, as of uh, what Friday morning last week, uh, it was Louise Stutes and and myself um, who were the only members still in the Republican caucus and hadn't joined the the majority caucus, hadn't joined the minority caucus, so forth. Um, and and that wasn't because you know we we chose that; that the voters chose that, just like the voters you know elected a Republican majority. Um, the idea that uh, you know you might have to you know. Bring Democrats into leadership positions is is not something that you know my uh, you know district particularly likes. In fact, in the, the bylaws of the Republican Party, until very recently, um, if you if you did that, if you brought Democrats into leadership positions in in either the House or the Senate. After a, a majority of Republican legislators been elected, uh, that was that was the, the worst thing possible. That was, you know, you're going to be sanctioned. You're going to be censured. You know, you're going to have the Republican Party, you know, find you know, somebody to run against you in the next election, that kind of stuff. Um, and now that language has since been removed. Um, but it's still, you know, not something that most Republican voters, you know, want you to do. Um, you know, are there situations where you just don't have any other choices? Yeah, there, there could be, um, especially, you know, you, you're, if you're in a situation where um, a Republican majority hasn't been elected, maybe it's 2020 or something like that. OK, well, something's got to give. Yeah, I get that. I think most of the voters in, in my district would, would understand that, and appreciate that as well. Uh, but again, that that is not what happened here you know, what happened here was you did have a Republican majority and rather than, um, you know, trying to form that Republican majority with all 21, uh, the decision was made very early on that that was, that was unacceptable. Um, you know, again, just like in the Senate, there's, there's certain legislators, Republicans that we just can't work with, uh, me being one of them, of course, and, and we're not going to go there. Um, so Louise and I were, we basically told, you know, sorry, you know, uh, your SOL. And, and that is, that's one way of doing it. Uh, but that does not honor the voters, uh, certainly, uh, isn't, uh, you know, respect for, for those who the voters elected. And, and so, you know, the, the fact of, of, you know, what the, the title of the minority caucus you know is, is, is not, you know, that's not what's most important. What's most important is, all right, you know, we're here to serve the, the people of Alaska. Um, And if you are trying to serve the people of Alaska, then you're naturally, like you were just saying, you've got some things that that you want to take care of, whether it's PFD, uh, whether that's defined benefits, what have you. And so you're going to put together an organization based on, you know, that agenda. And and again, for, for the fourth time in my four legislature experience, the Republicans did not do that. Um, uh, you know, I, I can look back on the last, you know, three terms that we just had as Republicans, there was almost no agreement on policy and, and you had, you know, folks like Kelly Merrick that were part of the caucus and you had, uh, other folks on, on the other end, you know, the Steve Thompson's whatnot, which, you know, if you look at their voting record, they were voting with Louise Stutz and Bryce Edgeman most of the time um and and you know an an astronomically high amount of the time whenever there's a party line vote you can almost be guaranteed uh there are at least a couple members of the republican caucus that are going to vote with the democrats um you know even though there was 18 elected one time and you know uh different numbers different times it was usually about 14 of us that actually held the line and, and adopted you know the Republican position when it came time to vote and and that wasn't secret everybody could know that you look at the voting board, you say wow they they vote with the Democrats a lot um, so it wasn't about particular agenda items or, or ideology um, there was opportunity for that I think there should have been a strong minority to you know have an agenda that they could you know put up and contrast uh, at least you know in, in principle with the majority and and that really never um materialized uh certainly not in any kind of robust fashion yeah there are some press releases every now and again but but again we have uh, a house that is organized uh based on the idea that they need to be in the majority no matter what uh and that's what happened they're they're now in the majority no matter what um you know Bryce Edgman has uh, a controlling interest in that caucus um you know he can say um no and the caucus dead stops dead in his tracks Uh, Because they cannot move forward without his order or his team.
2: We're winding down here, uh, so I have one final question, and this is the thing that I'm having the hardest time with, because you say uh, that this uh, uh, Republican-led majority is a binding caucus, Uh, and yet I have had multiple... Legislators on the program saying no, absolutely not. We were not. We've not guaranteed any vote. We've not guaranteed any of it. So, are you saying that these people are all fibbing? Are they all lying? Are they all misleading us? I mean, what what are you saying? Because again, like I said, we just had Sarah Vance on, uh who said, "No, I have not guaranteed my vote for anything. I want to read the bill before I vote on it." Same thing that uh, that uh, others have said. Will Stapp and Kevin McCabe and others. So uh, are you asserting that they're all
3: misleading us? Is that what
2: you're saying? You
3: know, there's been an agreement uh, not to call the current caucus a binding caucus. Yeah, that, that's obvious. Um, and that was a political necessity because several of its members um, you know, are from districts that detest the idea of a binding caucus. And so the idea that they joined one is, is politically um, intolerable to, to some of their constituents. Um, and, and they have, have taken efforts to try and, um, reshape the, you know, the idea of the Binding Caucus, but we knew they were going to do that. And I've talked with others who have been fighting the Binding Caucus and we, my district has been, you know, at war with the Binding Caucus for 14 years. Um, you know, since, uh, my Senator Lida Green was president of, a you know, a Bipartisan Binding Caucus in the Senate back you know, many years ago. And, and we've seen this play out iteration after iteration. Uh, and frankly, we knew you know, at some point, you get to a point where uh, they were willing to change the rhetoric and not call it a binding caucus. Um, they, they haven't gotten there yet in the Senate, but uh, we, we thought you know, last time maybe they were moving in that direction. But now they're back to calling it a binding caucus. Um, you know, in the House, we've now moved for the first time to not calling it a binding caucus. Uh, And that's, you know, one of the stepping stones on the on the way to victory. But uh, but it doesn't fundamentally change, uh, you know, what is wrong with the whole binding caucus concept. The fact you call it something else doesn't doesn't help. Um, But, you know, today uh, there was, you know, a decision made, you know, last year, in fact, that, um, you know, gosh, you know, you can only be part of this conversation if you're willing to help us pass the budget. And I was told that repeatedly. Um, and in fact, I was, you know, told that by a member of the majority, even, you know, like a a week before, uh, before we gabbled in to be sworn in, he was, Hey, you just, unless you're willing to help us pass the budget, you know, with your vote, then, then you can't be, you know, part of the caucus. I mean, we all know that's the case. Uh, every member of that caucus knows that's the case. They know that I wasn't, you know, invited to be part of it. Um, you know, you can come up with all sorts of reasons about, you know, why I'm, I'm hard to work with or whatever, but fundamentally that's the issue. The issue is a $14 billion budget. Um, they wanted to organize a caucus based on passing it. They can't conceive of organizing a caucus, like you were talking about, based on you know, re- Republican voters and, and elections and so forth. And so based on that, it now needs to be organized based on a bill, uh, House Bill 39 in this case. And the idea that, you know, we could have a process that results in that bill going forward uh, and not passing and then needing to turn to the public and saying, you know, hey, uh, public, you've got stake in this, you know, help us get the votes needed to pass this, you know, decent budget Um, (coughs) in fact you might see that in 49 other States. Uh, uh, but the idea David, is uh, this- I'm out
2: of time, David, I'm out of time. Thank you for coming on board. Uh, folks, we're out of time. Tomorrow's firearms Friday, Jacob sullum, Chris Chang. We will see you tomorrow. Have a great day. David, I'll let you finish your thought and I have a one rebuttal and then we'll finish this up here real quick. Uh, but I'll let you finish your yes. thought real quick.
3: No, glad, glad to hear the rebuttal. Um, well, the the idea that um, you could end up with a bill that goes to the floor—in this case, the budget bill—but really it could be any bill, and and that you know somehow you know wouldn't pass the first time. You know, maybe like in in Congress, you had uh, conservatives go 15 rounds over the the speaker bill. You know, we we could have done that in Alaska. Um, we frankly decided to you know wave the white flag before round one had even happened. And so there were no 14, you know, rounds of battle and there wasn't a, a conservative victory there because, you know, we said, you know, we cried uncle at, at the outset. And, and the same thing with, with uh, any bill that comes before the House that the majority has decided that they're not going to allow it to come to the House for a vote until they already have lined up the votes for it to pass. That's why, you know, the six years I've been in the legislature, you've never seen a bill come before the legislature except for one. <laughs> Um, which was the, the hospital you know, patient advocate bill um, that didn't actually pass. And, and right now, we need to move in the direction of allowing the, the process to work itself out with the public's involvement. And, and maybe you don't get your 21 votes for the budget in the first time. Maybe you only have 19. And then you allow the public to, to weigh in. Um, and then you allow you know negotiations and positions to change and so forth but just understand that could not be tolerated under the current arrangement because that would be a test of, of, you know, cohesiveness of the majority right now. And that would, you know, that would be seen as, as um, you know, the end of the majority because they didn't have enough votes to, to put forward their agenda. Um, it shouldn't be, but that's the way they look at it.
2: I guess my rebuttal is this, because again, it was, uh, it was kind of a yes or no question uh, and we got long-winded there on it, but you're asserting basically that these people are misleading us. That there, it is a binding caucus, but they're trying to deceive and inveigle us to say that it's not a binding caucus. That's what you're saying. Yeah, I,
3: I, it, it's it's a lot of equivocation, and some of the freshmen, you know, are probably doing so um, innocuously because they don't, you know, understand. All right, what 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 is a binding caucus, and why is it bad? Uh, my district. Has a much better idea of, of what a binding Caucus right. is because we've seen it so many
2: times Well and again I'm not disagreeing that there has been A binding caucus in years past I've been fighting I mean I've been fighting about this and, and Angry about the binding caucus for 15 years But when when legislator After legislator says we have not Guaranteed our vote for anything uh, We are not vote. We have not given our, our guarantee That we're going to vote for a budget That it's going to go through the whole process Then I mean I have a hard time saying That that's equivocation when they flat yeah, out said he, it's not we've not guaranteed our vote for anything sure. uh, well
3: and i can say that too uh, no none of us have guaranteed our votes for anything we we simply you know hide behind the idea that well we are committed to intending to vote for the budget or we're committed to you know making sure that the majority you know budget passes and so forth but the the um design that they have created for this particular caucus this particular time is that uh the budget bill is going to come out of house finance they're all going to get into a room and 23 of them are going to decide what's in the budget when they come out of that room uh they will have agreement and they will make sure that it passes now tell me how that is in the binding caucus
2: david eastman our guest thank you for coming on board and sharing your thoughts with us on this uh we will uh we will uh I guess we'll see when the votes are counted where things lay and where the budget is. I appreciate you. Thank you Michael. appreciate you coming on board and joining us today. Thanks for uh, being part of it. You bet. All right, folks, again, tomorrow is uh firearms Friday. It will be of course uh, Jacob Selim, uh, and Chris Chang and Willie Waffle. We're going to have uh, a good discussion tomorrow. Looking forward to it. Alright, till then, have a great day Be kind Love one another (laughs) Live well Baby